Welcome to Time Travelling Team, the weekly podcast where we review every story of Doctor Who right from the very beginning. I'm Paddy. And I'm Trisha. This week we'll continue our rambling through the Peter Cushing Doctor Who films with Dalek's Invasion Earth 2150 AD. We'd also love to hear your thoughts on this film, so to join in the discussion, you can check us out at Time Team, that's T-I-M-E-T-E-A-M-P, on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram, or you can email us at timetravellingteamp at teamproductions.com. Now though, I'm going to give you a quick recap of the film. On a quiet London street, a police officer is doing his rounds when he's attacked by a mysterious assailant. The man is actually a getaway driver for a group of thieves who have just robbed a jeweller's on the street. They flee the scene, futilely pursued by the officer who calls for help with his whistle. He spots a police call box nearby and rushes to it and is shocked to see that it is much bigger on the inside and it contains an old man and two young girls who are working on various pieces of electronic equipment. He then faints from his injuries and the old man looks at the events going on outside through a TV monitor. He sees a passerby rushing towards the box, forcing him to make the box disappear. After a while, the officer comes to and introduces himself as Constable Tom Campbell and says that he needs to report the robbery. The old man says it's impossible as they are currently in 2150 AD, thanks to the box, which is his time and space machine, which he calls TARDIS. He introduces himself as Doctor Who and the girls are his niece Louise and his young granddaughter Susan. Tom, sceptical of their claims, exits the TARDIS and finds himself in the desolated wasteland of London in 2150 AD. Now from here, the movie roughly follows the same storyline as the TV story, The Dalek Invasion of Earth, with some differences. So the Robo-Men, who are the slaves of the Daleks, are much more uniform, and their conversion process is a lot less dangerous to the specimen being converted. As Susan is a young child in this one, much like the previous movie, she's actually paired with an older Resistance member, uh, Weiler, in a sort of Mando and the Child type partnership. Then there's Louise. Uh, she gets knocked unconscious during a raid on the Dalek ship and Tom poses as a Roboman to stay on board to find her. And the Doctor and the younger Resistance member, David, uh, make their own way to the mine as they also try to locate Susan and Weiler. Uh, that's the mine in Bedfordshire where the Dalek uh, excavation is happening. So, once the Daleks have been defeated, Doctor Who and the girls drop Tom back to their own time, but a few minutes before the robbery that happens at the jewellers. Uh, now with the element of surprise, Tom manages to incapacitate the thieves and takes them to the nearest police station as Doctor Who and the girls look on. And that is the end of the movie. Also, again, compared to last week, I think there's a few more differences in this week's story. There is. It actually, um, it's a lot more expansive in the sense of, like, so as I said, Tom stays on... The, the ship to help find Louise whereas like in the in the in the TV story the doctor Susan and David go off together mm. Ian gets split up from everyone else and the same with uh, Barbara after, so after the initial raid on the Dalek ship everyone gets split off into different pairings so here the dynamics are very different and for the movie I think obviously I think it works a lot better because we have a brand new character with Tom, so you don't need to realistically follow the same format. And I think some of the other, I think the the pairings are actually like while I obviously I'm going to say here now at the top of the recording that uh, I like I prefer the TV serial, but I did actually enjoy this movie, and I do enjoy the pairings that they have in this movie. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah, I would agree. When we get into character discussion, we can talk about more about like the different changes that were made between oh, each character. But I think just in comparison to last week, this is much more them adding their own bit. Absolutely. And actually, the um, the smuggler character uh, from the TV serial, mm. here he's given a bit more... He's actually given a bit more character, if that makes sense. Uh, and the, he, he, like, you know, he betrays the Doctor to the Daleks and... Uh, as the doctor is being taken away, he realizes that the Daleks have no longer have any use for him, so they they execute him, and you just get this kind of view of a guy that's been so long looking out for himself that he didn't really see, he couldn't see the the forest for the trees type thing, you know. Mm. Cool. So let's go on to our trivia. So the release date for this film was the twenty sixth of July, nineteen sixty six. As I mentioned last week, we have the same writer and director in. Milton Chbosky and Gordon Fleming. Our cast, we have two returning members of cast from our previous film. We have Peter Cushing as Doctor Who and Roberta Toby as Susan. I have seen some comments online that Peter would only return if Roberta was going to be in the film. Oh. Apparently he really developed a good dynamic with her and he really wanted her to be in the film. That's nice. I like that. As Louise, we have Jill Curzon. 
every time I said the word Curzon. Yeah, Curzon Dax. Dax. <laughs> yeah, that's all that came into my head. Uh, Jill is known for Hugh and I, Out of This World, and The Champions. As Tom Campbell, we have Bernard Cribbins. Yay. Bernard is known for his novelty records, including The Hole in the Ground and Right Dead Red. He's also known for Two Way Stretch, he was in the Carry On series, The Railway Children, Frenzy, Jack and Ori, not to confuse with Balamori, which I always confuse two of them. <laughs> and also what I knew him from growing up, which is that he narrated the Wombles. Um, so I knew him from because I never watched the Wombles as a kid. I don't think I ever watched the Wombles until I actually first met you. But I I knew from the Carry On series. And actually it's funny, um, Alice, like my daughter, for a small uh, bit of time, became obsessed with me singing Right Said Fred to her. <laughs> <laughs> I think I remember that. Doctor Who fans, though, will recognise Bernard from the David Tennant era of the show, where he portrayed Wilfred Mott, mm-hmm. Donna's granddad. One of the most popular characters of the re-resurrection, or, or continuation of the series. <laughs> we, don't, we don't say reboot. Um... <laughs> And as well, like I think he's one of those characters that enters into the are they a companion, are they not a companion uh, debate. Yeah, very heavily so. I did actually get to meet Bernard um, a year and a half ago, this time that we're recording this. And he was really, really nice. But like, obviously, Bernard is quite old at this point. And so his convention appearances, he's only ever there for like a couple of hours. Mm-hmm. So if you imagine he's doing an hour doing photos and then maybe two hours doing autographs and like people literally queued all morning and at one point he went to have a break so went to have a coffee and he didn't return for an hour and a half (laughs) and we're all just sat on the floor but when he went in to meet him because he's in a completely closed off area he was so nice to everybody I was like okay this is why things are taking so long because he took his time with absolutely everybody he was an absolute sweetheart See, that's the thing about Bernard Cribbins in the sense of that he is one of those, he's a treasured icon of British film and TV. Like, you know, whether he's the the slightly rude guest in Faulty Towers, um, whether it's, again, the Carry On series or his just, he, like, his appearance on the Doctor Who special of Nevermind the Buzzcocks, where he's just like, <laughs> as smart as a whip. He's, he, he's just one of those treasured uh, people, you know? So... An interesting thing is in this film, his character Tom jokes at the end about how for foiling the bank or the jewellery heist or whatever it was, the robbery, that he should be awarded an OBE, an Order of the British Empire. Bernard himself was awarded an OBE in the 2011 Birthday Honours for services to drama. And what's actually interesting is that so now we have Bernard in this film with an OBE and last week... We had, what's his Roy, name? Roy Castle. Roy Castle also had an OB. Mm-hmm. Moving on to the rest of our characters. So as David, we have Ray Brooks. Ray also appeared in Taxi, Coronation Street, Danger Man, The Avengers, Alice's Adventures in Wonderland, Carry On Abroad, and EastEnders. Wyler is played by Andrew Kerr. He's known for Ivanhoe, Cleopatra, Quartermass in the Pit, The Avengers Again, and Taggart. Andrew passed away in 1997. And interesting thing is, Andre Morrill was actually offered the role of Wyler, but he couldn't accept because he had signed on to star as Tavanier in The Massacre with William Hartnell. And they had clashing film dates, so he had to pick either doing the film of Doctor Who or doing the TV show. And he picked the TV show. Dortmund is played by Godfrey Quigley. He's known for A Clockwork Orange, Barry Lyndon, and Get Carter, and he passed away back in 1994. Now, long-term Doctor Who fans or long-term listeners of ourselves will probably wonder why we've been talking about Louise and Tom (laughs) (laughs) and not Ian and Barbara. So the reason why we don't have Ian and Barbara in this film is basically Roy Castle and Jenny Lyndon weren't available when the film was greenlit. So they just changed the characters over to Tom and Louise. And another thing there that I just slightly realised, and I, I think slightly, is that, was it this now? This is two Doctor Who movies and not a single mention of Zed cars? Or a bingo card looks very sparse? I don't go as in-depth into these people. Um, I probably could have another look through and see if there's a Zed cars in their history, but we're going a bit 
more high level. No. Uh, I don't think I saw Z cars, to be honest. Yeah, I don't think that's all. I don't think I remember Z cars either. But no, there's one thing I just need to check, okay? And I'm checking it as we speak in that there is a another actor in this movie that also has extra Doctor Who credits attached to his name. And it is uh so the guy that plays the the smuggler yeah. is played by Philip Maddock. And Philip Maddock plays Solon in Brain of Morbius. I knew he looked familiar. Yeah. I knew he looked familiar. You see, you know, his voice, his voice reminded me of the guy that played Noel Coward in the movie you got me to watch years ago, Star. Mm. But it's not. Uh, it's actually, yeah, it's Dr. Solon. So. Cool. I, said, yeah. I, I knew that guy sounded familiar. Cool. So I originally had a note <laughs> in my overall on how I was surprised that Sugar Puffs, the breakfast cereal, survived to 2150. Because personally, I think they're manky. <laughs> However, the reason why there's this huge poster next to the TARDIS advertising Sugar Pops is because Sugar Pops provided some of the funding for the film. I have like a weird relationship with Sugar Pops in the sense of like I always like kind of go, "Geez, you know, I'd love a bowl of Sugar Pops," and I buy Sugar Pops, and then I instantly regret it. Not because they taste bad, but because of how fucking sweet they are after the milk mixes with them. Not their rank, <laughs> rank horrible cereal. There were a number of accidents that actually happened on set. Um, one thing that wasn't really an accident, I suppose, is that Peter Cushing did get quite ill at one point. So they had to redo some of his stuff to sort of not have him be on set. But separate from that, a Dalek prop caught fire during the filming of the Rebels storming the Dalek ship. A stuntman, Eddie Powell, broke his ankle during a scene in which his character is killed by the Daleks when trying to escape from them. And Andrew Kerr hurt his wrist when punching through the van windscreen during mm. the sequence where they're escaping from London. So, a couple of accidents on this film. And I was actually going to pass a comment about like that is particular escape sequence. I thought it was, uh, it's it's kind of dumb. It's like it looks like you know that Daryl Breen sketch of like a guy that's trying to control the snake in Metal Gear Solid, not knowing how to do the controls. <laughs> Although, in fairness, like, I mean, the one thing I will say, and we'll get to this later on in more detail, but um, the windscreen gets, like, cracks in it, Hmm. which would make it difficult to see. So, in fairness, he just punches a hole so he can see it, which I thought was actually quite... I'm talking about Eddie Powell, the guy that actually, you know, he climbs up the rickety building to... Oh, that, yeah. Yeah, canopy. Now I feel bad for saying this because of the fact that he got hurt doing that scene. So, I will will retract my statement and (laughs) we will move move swiftly on. Okay, my final trivia note is, I mentioned last week that the £500 option was for three films. Mm -hmm. So, So, where's the third film so the third film was originally planned to be an adaptation of the chase now there are rumors going around that this was actually filmed and just never released that isn't true the entire production was shelved during the fallout of this film the box office numbers weren't great so they decided not to go forward with the third film i would be really interested in how they would do certain aspects of the chase without Ian and fucking barbara in it so w- one thing that I would love to see if this movie had ever been ever been created is someone shouting, look behind you, Mr. Dracula, and Peter Cushing going, no! <laughs> <laughs> or just like, you know, Dracula behind you, and Peter Cushing's yeah. going, where is he? Where? Where? <laughs> but, but it would only work if uh, Dracula was played by Peter Cushing's lifelong friend, Christopher Lee. That is very true. Yeah. That is very, very true. They actually Can you imagine the two of them in a Doctor Who? Oh, that would be so weird. It would be really Brilliant. weird. <laughs> but like, I actually saw a movie that you know, Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing were actually the, were the good guys in it. And throughout the entirety of the movie, I was waiting for Christopher Lee to turn on them. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Oh. So that's it for some trivia for this film. So why don't we start talking characters? So yeah. we have the return of Doctor Who not mm-hmm. the doctor what were your thoughts on doctor who this time around so this time around like a lot of the stuff i'm going to be saying now okay is i really enjoyed peter cushing a lot more in this film because he felt more engaging and i think that might be the fact that he was split away from susan and he was split away from tom and louise and his pairing with young david was actually really i thought it was a really really cool thing mm. there is a bit more physicality 
this time around um, because he's taken for the, the, the Roboman conversion process and you know, there's that uh, escape sequence in it uh, or the fight, the fight sequence. And one thing I'm going to say now about fight sequences in this movie, every time there is a fight sequence, a jazz quartet magically breaks out of nowhere and just starts, <laughs> you know, scat jitterbugging around the place. <laughs> it's fantastically 60s. Um, so I read, no, again, he's really good in this. His chemistry with everyone is fantastic. I think that this would have been a performance that would have potentially kind of made people kind of go, what? I could actually see him taking over in the show type of thing, you know? Yeah, apparently, like, there was discussions back in the 60s and 70s to have him do the show, you know? I think I think there was talk of him taking over from John Pertwee at one point, or might have been instead of John Pertwee, I can't remember. Hmm. Um, and obviously there's the whole thing of, like, you know, where do these movies fit into the to the canon of Doctor Who? And I think the last recorded statement is that these exist as theatrical films in the world of Doctor Who based yeah, on accounts. I, I well, there was some mention somewhere in my trivia yeah, I, I, I that think like, it, Peter Cushing is mentioned in Doctor Who. Yeah, I think it was like for the novelization of the 50th anniversary story Day of the Doctor that there there was movies based upon repeated sightings of you know the man in the blue box and all this type of stuff. But I think like Peter Cushing is Peter Cushing in the Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. As in like, like you know, mention of him. Yeah, I would agree with you on him being much more substantial in this film. Yeah, I don't know if that was there was more unique writing for him to deal with. You know, because like. Doctor Who and the Daleks, barred the beginning and the end, was almost scene for scene in some cases the same as the film. Or the same as the serial, rather. So with this one, because there was so much, because it was just Doctor Who and David and Susan wasn't with them, and obviously in the TV serial, Hartnell had been out, so he hadn't been in a lot of it. I wonder if it's that he got to actually make the character his own, as opposed to having to spend time trying not to be Bill Hartnell. And I think I, I'd agree with that. And I'd also think that there's um it actually kind of adds merit to the thing you said last week, which is that in the first movie, it's his first adventure. So he's very, you know, thrown in at the deep end. Whereas here, he's got a bit more experience where he's traveling. Now he knows that they're up against the Daleks. So he's calling upon past experience to help make his choices so i think that adds to his kind of you know substantial substantial i can't think of the word you know what i mean (laughs) him as a character in this movie he does have a few um quirks that are i'm now considering to be uniquely like peter cushing doctor who Hmm. one of them is he can't go anywhere without his gloves on yep every five (laughs) seconds them. I'm like, A, why did you take them off? But then <laughs> every scene ends with him putting his gloves back on. And I just, it, it happened so often that like I started taking note of it. Like, So it's either he's challenged people to a duel off screen or he's getting ready to drive and mow stuff down. <laughs> maybe, maybe. The one thing as well that I liked about him here perhaps a bit more than the Doctor in the TV serial is, and this may just be me misremembering, so feel free to correct yeah. me. Is his plan on how to defeat the Daleks? While the science behind it is nonsense, it's very much he's going in with the plan of we need to deviate this to go over there, and like because mm. of him being with David and not having Susan there, him going into the camp and meeting with the smuggler and meeting with the guy on the inside who helped um, Tom and Louise because the doctor in the TV show didn't do that he had no idea for a lot of it what was actually happening inside the plant yeah because in this in the movie all the parties kind of tie up together before the big uh, the big final showdown whereas in the TV serial everyone is still separate and like so Ian 
which in this case would be Tom, uh, he only really sees the guys during like the mass breakout at the end. Yeah. Whereas here he's part of the plan to infiltrate. Yeah. So obviously, yeah, like I think the the plans would like like the plot is still the same, you know, like the, the Daleks want to, you know, make the Earth the mobile oppression palace of the universe. <laughs> uh stealing something there from Futurama. Um but so there's a united front versus the oh god, will everyone get back together before the whole mine explodes type of thing of the serial. Yeah, I think in the context of the films where do we have Susan and Doctor Who being the only carryover characters, mm. it makes more sense for him to be the knowledgeable leader of the group yeah. rather than, you know, by the time we get to this point in the TV show, this is what, like the 12th story or something? This is 10. This is number 10. 10th story. Yeah. So by this point, all of our characters have sort of shown their ability to lead or their ability to get on with things by themselves in the mm. film they haven't shown that yeah so it makes more sense for her which, which i kind of liked I, you know it was a nice unique thing for doctor who to do that the doctor wasn't able to do mm -hmm. yeah so moving on to our companions unless you've any other comment on doctor who no i think i think we kind of pretty much covered all about uh doctor who and this this night i still like i still, it's, it's so weird to call him doctor who <laughs> it's so bizarre <laughs> Even when I was posting last week's episode, <laughs> several times when I was uploading it to Podbean, which is where we host our podcast, I wrote down Doctor Who and the Daleks, like D-O-C-T-O-R. Mm -hmm. But then I actually looked up and it is actually like D-O-R-C-T-O-R, -R full stop. <laughs> it's not actually the word Doctor, it's the title Doctor. <laughs> Dr-Who. Um, so moving on to our companions. So we have Tom and Louise, who are our new companions. We have Susan returning, and then we have our resistance members. So perhaps if we do Susan first, yeah, and then do Tom and Louise, and then circle back around to our our mm. resistance people. So what are your thoughts on Susan this time around? I like Susan. I do, but but nothing fucking phases her at all. Nothing phases this child whatsoever, and. She's too fearless. Like TV Susan, we've said, sometimes screams a bit too much. Mm -hmm. Film Susan is a fucking robot. <laughs> like nothing phases this child whatsoever. And it gets to the point where between herself and Wyler, she is the leader of that duo, which is yeah. silly because she's like 11. Yeah. Do you know, it comes across as silly when you have the little girl being the leader in the resistance fighter duo which makes no sense like there's a thing there that kind of so i made the comparison of uh mando and the child yeah. earlier on but it actually it's more of a thing of where like a series of uh, manga that i read called lone wolf and cub but i absolutely love it mm. deals with a small child called daigoro now daigoro i think is like three when the series starts but he's so used to his father just like killing people and his own tricked out baby cart, which is essentially a murder machine. He nothing phases him. He is absolutely no phasing at all with the violence. And that's what kind of rings true here with Susan in the sense of like Wilder is like defending her and she's like, job well done. Let's move on, shall we? <laughs> yeah, and like even like when they when Wilder's the only one to come back from the attack on the Dalek ship, mm. there's no <laughs> urgency to her you know you know it's like oh i saw your grandfather escape i don't mm. know about louise and tom no tom she hardly knows louise is her cousin yes um oh yeah i don't know who mentioned louise is the niece in this film to differentiate yeah, I, her I, from I, no i said yeah. it this in oh summary. you did yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah sorry but there's no urgency about her which leads to the question did dr who build susan <laughs> Just, i wouldn't be surprised if he did <laughs> oh it's uh, like you know she's the lull to his data or the data to his son i was just thinking that i was like literally just thinking that like it was a case of like emotionless child <laughs> oh. um possibly I said, she's a nice character you know she's a nice kid yeah. she's a good 
actor or whatever, but she's just a robot. Like, you need to have her reacting yeah. to something. Even, like, when she gets reunited with Doctor Who, yeah, they give each other a hug, but, like, mm. that's it. I don't know if there is a companion from the show that she can really be compared to in terms of her age. Obviously, we young Amelia and Matt Smith's run, but she was only in one episode. Yeah, and even then, like, she never traveled, so she was never exposed to this type of <laughs> shenanigans. Mm-hmm. Um, and Adric was older, wasn't he? Adric was like, yeah, Adric was in his teens. He, he was like, you know, 14, 15, I think. Yeah, and I haven't seen any of his stuff to compare, so. There, no, but no, like, there's there's nothing comparable here. Like, there's no comparable companion. I thought of one. Who? K9. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, but John Leeson has more fucking expression than this child. <laughs> but again, also a lovely man to be at a convention. Yeah. But again, as you said, that that could very well be down to the you know the direction, which is you know you're meant to be fearless very well. I am without fear. Yeah. So moving Ooh. on to yeah. Tom and Louise, mm-hmm. um, we do Tom first. Yeah. What do you think, Tom? S- I think Tom would have been a fantastic addition as a companion to the series. I would agree. Uh, Bernard Crivens is fantastic in this. And we actually kind of, so we talked last week about how Roy Castle, he's, it's it, it's buffoonery on his part playing Ian. Yeah. And everything is done by luck. Now, Bernard Crivens, who has, has probably a more substantial background in comedic acting, has two, what I would say, quasi-comedic moments in this. One is when he opens a door and he falls, you know, out into essentially nothingness. Mm. And it does look a bit silly, but at the same time... It was also in the show. Yeah, it's also in the show. And he like, he plays it really well. And the other time is when Louise's code accidentally activates a food conveyor belt. And he's just there trying to hoof it all back up the conveyor belt. <laughs> And like it is, it is funny, but like there's a logic to behind the scene, you know. So I, I liked it. Um, he, I think he would have been a fantastic companion. Now, if he had if he had slotted just after Ian and maybe before Ben, it would have been perfect. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but like he's like, as I said, he's intelligent. He's cap- He's capable. He's brave. Not that bravery is a huge requirement to be a companion. Like I would say, capability and intelligence more so than anything. Like he he's more than just like an action man. He's more just a bit of muscle, and he he's just also you know he's just because it's Bernard Cribbins. Every time he like he smiles or he just pulls one of those faces, you know, it's just like you want to go. No, you cannot die. You are not allowed to die in this movie. Yeah, like personally, I think he was a great replacement from movie Ian, mm. and had they named his character Ian, I would have been perfectly happy with that. <laughs> Do you know, if they were like, oh, for this film, Ian isn't traveling with them already. This Bernard Crippen's character is Ian. I would have been perfectly happy to accept that. You know, he is very capable, willing, willing and able to get stuck in and he can take care of himself and others, which is exactly what Ian from the TV show does. Hmm. Um, He's, not as awesome as TV Ian because TV Ian is amazing, <laughs> but also he'd never travelled before, so this is his first adventure. So that has to be kept in mind as well. Again, this was story ten for TV Ian. Mm-hmm. It's story one for film Tom. Uh, just to cut across you there, William Russell. In case you're listening, I think you're in with a shot. <laughs> <laughs> but. All in all, I thought Tom was great. I mm. one of the things I really liked about him. Now, I the way they go about it in the film leads to all these time travel timeline mm. questions. But I like the fact that at the end, he just goes back to being a policeman, yeah. and his only thing is, "Can you drop me back like a few minutes earlier, mm. so I can catch those guys?" And but like he goes back, like he puts on his uniform again. And he goes out and he does his job. His job is to be a policeman. And yeah, he's got some ideals that like he'll get an OBE and all that kind of yeah. stuff. But <laughs> being a policeman is yeah, his thing. His there was, even though he fared perfectly well in the time travel thing, his yeah. thing was, nope, I'm a policeman. Which is great. Yeah. And I, I would... I'd wonder if they would bring him back for the third movie, if the third movie had happened. 
if like they pick him up along the way, you know, because he had associated with the doctor or something like that, you know. Cool. So that is Louise next, yes? Yeah. Uh, so. <laughs> I'll do my notes first and you can do your yeah. notes. Cool. Her name is Louise. She is the doctor's niece. She wears a tan beige outfit. That is all. Literally, that is the only contribution I can think of for Louise in this. She is a non-entity. She really is. I think she's only a plot device just to have Tom be on the Dalek ship. So, I had an issue with Barbara last week. Hmm. When I said that the only reason Barbara was in Doctor Who and the Daleks was to be an excuse for Ian to be in the film. Yeah. Louise is the excuse to have Tom be in the film. Hmm. Because, again, they can't just have Doctor Who and Tom with an 11-year-old Susan... Because that's weird. So they need to have an adult of a similar age to Tom who has a connection with Louise and is female. Or mm. connection with Susan, rather, and is female. So they brought in Louise. But the thing is, the thing that bothers me, right, is like that Tom was great. Tom was probably, for me, the best thing in this film. Maybe yeah, going I, on I, I think the best thing in the film. And that's just not biased for Bernard Cribbins. Like, in the sense of, like, Tom is actually the most enjoyable character mm. in this whole Yeah, no, I agree. But... So the original actors from the first film couldn't come back to reprise the roles of Ian and Barbara. Just recast them. Don't change them into different people. Just, just say that Louise is Barbara and just move on with it. A, her hair colour is the right colour compared to your one last week. But mm-hmm. like, just say that it's Barbara. Why, why say that it's this niece that he has who also is a scientist? Like, How many female relatives does he have that are interested in science? But the thing is that, like, while Barbara in last week's film did bugger all, it's Barbara and it's the Dalek invasion of Earth uh-huh. in the year 2150 AD, which we have both agreed time and again, one of the most badass Barbara stories that there mm. is. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Between her joining the attack on the Dalek ship. Pulling a Ripley in the the fire truck. Pulling a Ripley in the fire truck. Bullshitting the Daleks with all of this historical battle strategy. Hmm. And, you know, figuring out that, oh, you can use the Dalek voice box to tell the Robomen to do whatever. Hmm. She did so much in the serial and you're not going to have her be in the film. Not only are you not going to have her be in the film, you're going to have her replacement not do anything any of the things that she did not a single one of them so did she join in on the attack on the Dalek ship I would say she was there yeah she didn't throw anything she didn't have a weapon she was there she wandered on board she went into a random room got knocked unconscious and woke up on the ship the only reason why she's on the ship is to give Tom a reason to stay on the ship Whereas yeah. in the story, Ian had a completely different reason to stay on the ship. It's, that's the only reason why she's there, is to give Tom a reason to stay. She is sidelined, sidelined completely from the mine plan, as in mm-hmm. Doctor Who literally says to David to take her somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Like, she's not even, she doesn't even have an opinion. And it's just like, what is your problem with, like, you were given possibly one of the greatest female science fiction leading ladies of the 60s. You were you were given her a complete template. You had 16 freaking stories to pull from. And this is the character that you create based off one of the original character's best stories? Come on, like. And also, stupid question. Why mm. does she refer to her uncle, Yeah, Doctor as... Who, as Doctor. It's not his fucking name in this universe. It's his title. That's That'd be like me calling my dad Mr. Yeah. The, um, o- the only comparison I can make, if I'm being honest, I do sometimes call my uncle father, but that's because he's a priest. <laughs> he is Father Liam. So, yeah. But that's different. <laughs> That's He's actually a priest. <laughs> no, that's completely different. That's <laughs> like no, like it's just like like even if you're like you know 
on very close terms with like a family friend who's a, a priest or whatever like that or if you have family members that are priests you always refer to them as father you don't you never refer to them by whatever you know yeah i'd never call him um, to him that'd be weird no it's but like, it's just i i i don't know i i really don't and i actually feel like i feel a, a bit bad for or uh Jill, or sorry, yeah, Jill Curzon and the actress whose name I can't remember, unfortunately, plays Barbara, in the sense of Jenny Linden. Jenny Linden. So at this stage of the game now, right, uh, Doctor Who is a huge cultural phenomenon that's sweeping the UK. And you, like, if you're making a movie of it, you know, that's, you know, pretty, pretty big, you know? You sign on for it, and this is the part you're given. I just feel bad, like, you know? Yeah, it's like. <laughs> Can you imagine being one of these two actresses and, you know, part of your research for this film is watching the show and you're mm-hmm. watching Jacqueline Hill mm-hmm. as Barbara and you're like, oh my God, she's brilliant. She's amazing. She's intelligent. She's brave. She's witty. She, you know, can hold her own. Yeah, she screams a bit and she gets captured, but she always tries to find her own way out. Fucking brilliant character. And then you read these scripts. And you have, I I joked last week that I thought Barbara had maybe five lines. I don't think Louise even has that many. No, I I I think she's got about in her own the same. If she doesn't have any more, I know that much. But I'd say she might have in her own the same. Yeah. Because again, there's just no. Like it's, I'm finding it hard to picture a scene of her without either Tom or the Doctor and or Doctor Who involved in it. There is the 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 closest one is the assault on the Dalek, the Dalek ship. ship, but whereas in the show we had that great scene or that great shot of Barbara. I think Susan was with her, and we had um oh what was her name the woman who pairs up with Barbara. Oh, it's Jenny, isn't it? Jenny, yeah. And we had that great sort of shot of the three of them, and like they've got like the bombs in their hands, and they're ready yeah. to chuck them. And that's great because it shows that she's involved. Louise is just there hmm. and she wanders in and w- wanders around and then gets stuck and can't wander back out again. The whole thing with her and Tom, you kind of get, well, I got the sense anyway at the end, you know, she's straightening his police uniform hmm. and I got major, major crimes vibes. <laughs> you know, the episode of major crimes where they take, um, buzz out and you have Sharon fixing oh, Andy's yeah. uniform right yeah complete tangent but I'm like was there meant to be a romantic thing between the two of them possibly but, I didn't see it <laughs> but then again like that's I think that's a bit of a trope for movies like this in the sense of it's not explicitly shown there but it's just assumed but like they were alone on the Dalek ship for a while. They had scenes together. There was no indication of no. anything between them. So, yeah, I think Louise, similar to Barbara last week. Louise who? Yep. Actually, yeah. The... <laughs> 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 uh. So, on to our Resistance members. We have... We don't have Jenny this time around. No, we don't. We have Wyler, David, and Dorman. Dor- I just realized I wrote nothing down for Dortmund. I didn't really care about him that much to write anything yeah, like, down. I, I, I just want to ask you something there, okay? So we just kind of, in this one, do you think he's slightly more unhinged than Dortmund in the TV serial? Or is it sort of on the same level? I think it's on the same level. I think Dortmund in the TV serial was better prepared. Mm. But he was also more of a dick. <laughs> Um, Dortmund in this, you sort of imagine, like, you don't get the idea that he was designing all of these weapons. You don't mm. get that same idea. Like, his no. notes aren't the same. There's no whole thing around what's in the bombs. These bombs are special. You don't get any of that. The closest thing you get to him being slightly unhinged is him going on about, like, oh, it'll work, you know? But, like... Yeah, is he, like, with, with Dortmund in the thing, like, and the... Um in the TV serial, it was always this whole thing of like, you know, my way is the best way, my way is the only way that will mm. work. And 
it's like you know if the if the plan fails it's like well never fear i'll i'll fix to make it better you know whereas here he he just like it's this like assumption that they're actually like they're already winning or they're already like their, their big push is going to be regardless of what the bombs are or anything like that they're the, the daleks won't match them and Maybe it's just again like I because I haven't watched Dalek Invasion uh, of Earth uh, in a while. That is it like recency bias where it's like maybe he this guy just seems a bit more fucking whacked out than that Dortmund. Um, the one thing that I I'd be interested to get your thoughts on is the sacrifice. Yeah. That the Dortmunds make. So, in the TV show, he had all of these notes about weapons that they can use, and it was very important that they get to show those notes to the doctor and blah 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 and in the end he takes his weapons and he rolls out into the street and tries to destroy the Daleks in the film there's no mention of his notes there's no mention of research or anything else he gets a little bit odd at Weiler trying to help him into the truck and so he decides to open the doors for them to drive off and then he just he knows the Dalek coming, and he wheels his way up, and then he throws the bomb, and destroys them. Did you read? Did, did you read those two scenes a different way? TV versus um, film. So TV, Dortmund realizes that his plans have not gone the way that they he wanted. He he thinks he still has the key to success, but he he knows that he won't be able to be the one to do it. So he passes it on to someone that he knows can carry it on and he then sacrifices himself to buy time for Barbara and Jenny to get away. Here, I think it's very much a case of come and have a go if you think you're hard enough. Mm. And any sort of sympathy I would have felt for Dortmund in the TV series, I don't have it here. I I don't like Dortmund in this movie. Similar thoughts? Yeah, pretty much. Um, I think... The Dortmund on TV again. Bearing in mind the TV serial was how many episodes long? Six. Six. You have longer. I think the Dortmund character in the TV serial was better developed. Yeah. You got you got to see him interacting more. You got to see him in the leadership role more. Mm. So his decisions make more sense. So then we have Weiler. <laughs> At the beginning, I was just like Weiler equals grumpy bollocks. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, you mentioned earlier his truck versus Daleks moment. His yeah. truck versus Daleks moment was nowhere near as awesome as Barbara's. No, mostly again because that jazz quartet was in the background <laughs> following him. Oh, you just reminded me of. Do you remember that folk singer that Panda introduced us to? Who oh, did, like, Martin, Martin, Martin Pearson. Martin Pearson uh, is like, you know. It would really help if they weren't followed by like uh, Sauron's full body co- or full body contact chamber orchestra playing <laughs> symphony for unsubtle bastards. <laughs> uh, I was actually looking at there again soon because that's so good. Um, just for reference, Martin Pearson he did a comedic album based on "What If the Lord of the Rings" trilogy by Peter Jackson was a musical. It's brilliant. It's fantastic. He uses contemporary songs like. Um, I'm falling for the, by the Beatles, which is Balrog versus Gandalf as they're falling into the thing, or um, uh, Burning Love, which is Denethor jumping off <laughs> the the tower in Minas Tirith. But yeah, we're digressing here. Um, <laughs> what I like about Weiler in this right is that he is he's a grumpy old bastard, mm. and he doesn't change. Uh-uh. He he's with Susan the entirety of the thing, and he doesn't have that you know all. You know, underneath there's like a sweetheart exterior, in, interior. No, he's literally just a grumpy bollocks the entire way through. And I actually thought that was kind of refreshing. I really enjoyed that. Mm. Plus, I think it's just like that gruff Scottish accent, you know. <laughs> when you said he was in Taggart, I was like, of course he was in fucking Taggart. Every Scottish actor was in Taggart. <laughs> yeah, I think I liked his dynamic with Susan mm. because he he treats her as a child, but not as an idiot. Yeah. Aside from the one moment where she played a trick on him and like went boo. And he basically told her, like, cough the fuck on. (laughs) Like, (laughs) are you fucking shitting me? What are you doing? It's a 
case of if you weren't a small child, I would fucking hoof you <laughs> out of this fucking uh, car. Yeah, but like he seems very protective of her. And even I had to laugh. There was a moment when they've been reunited with the doctor. Hmm. But the Daleks have captured them. And they're taking them through the mine Dalek base thing. And yeah. the Dalek comes rushing down the corridor. And Susan's just stood in the middle, like holding hands with both of them yeah. and the doc or doctor who goes to pull her to one side and wyler's just like no fuck you and pull yanks her over to his side <laughs> as if he's go, no no yeah. you went away and left her by herself i'm protecting her now <laughs> it's my job <laughs> oh. but i just get the impression like that you know when he finally has to say goodbye he hands her off like you know like a baby with a dirty nappy <laughs> you, you change her now <laughs> Oh no, he, he was he was a good character. In fairness, I think Wyler is probably the second best character in this. <laughs> I, movie. I would agree. I would agree. <laughs> yeah. um, and lastly, we have David, who's as blind as a fucking bat. All right, so I was going to say the exact same thing. Dude, are you fucking blind? And the reference for people is that Susan writes a message on the back of a door for the doc, uh, for her grandfather, that basically says, "We're going here." David and the doctor, I, I, I have to say the doctor because it's just weird to say otherwise. Okay, David and Peter Cushing are <laughs> in this room for at least five minutes. And for four of those minutes, he is staring at the door. He yeah. can see the message. Yet, after they leave, the doctor goes, I wonder why she didn't leave a message for us. Yeah, like, part of me is like, one, Susan don't write notes on retractable doors. Because the door retracts. It doesn't like swing mm. open or close. It's a sliding door that retracts into the wall. Mm. So when the door is open, which is the only time Doctor Who was looking in that direction, you can't see the message. David was looking at it when the door was fucking shut and the message was there in huge writing in chalk. <laughs> like white chalk on a green door. Yeah. Um, I will say one thing though, and this isn't to David's benefit because he's fucking stupid is susan why did you write on a door yeah why not on a piece of paper in the lab or piece of paper in the lab near the map you know <laughs> like the central thing on any of the sort of boards that they had around why on a retractable door do you just like writing in chalk i like writing in chalk but do you just like writing in chalk is was that it but yeah um david is blind as a fucking bat he doesn't hold a candle to tv david I wouldn't trust this guy to keep fucking a fish alive. Never mind. <laughs> Anything else. Uh, the best analogy I always give to someone is like, um, it's like, I wouldn't trust him to tie his own shoelaces. <laughs> yeah. Agreed. He's just, he's, no. No. And I think that is it for the brave members of the, the resistance of 2150 AD. God help the future. Uh, <laughs> So now we move on to the villains. Yes. So we have the Robomen and yeah. the Daleks. Also, just came into my head. Hello and welcome to the villains of the film. <laughs> you know, I have been. You may have noticed this in the yeah. script for our intro and outro. I've been using the word film, yeah, rather than movie, because mm -hmm. Doctor Who the movie is a separate yes. thing. So I've been mm -hmm. trying to use theatrical film, and it's a film. But like yeah. every time I hear the word film, all I hear is, yeah. welcome to the middle of the film. <laughs> <laughs> this might help in the future. Apparently there is actually a alternative title to the Doctor Who movie. I think it's actually called The Enemy Within. Ah. Yeah. But I th it's officially called Doctor Who the movie, but an alternative title is The Enemy Within, I think. Okay. A bit late now. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, I feel like anything. <laughs> So, yeah, we have the Daleks and the Robomen. Yeah, so we did the Robomen first. Cool. Now, for me, I'm actually kind of torn about mm. the design of the Robomen in this one. So, as I said, they're a bit more uniform in the sense of they all look like judges from 20, uh, the 2000 AD comics, mm. like the early versions of them. They wear a weird motorcycle helmet with visor, and they're all wearing like a black uh, pleather jumpsuit. Now, while that's cool, 
I still like the very slapped together Borg like look of the Robin in the TV serial because here they look more like militia rather than converts to help the Daleks, you know? I prefer them in the film. Yeah? Yeah, I hated the Robomen helmets in the TV show. I thought they looked stupid. Um, A biker helmet with some sort of like heat shield glasses in the visor for me, I think works a lot better for these characters. The pleather, I don't care. Um, Mm. But I think they they're more believable as a force that were keeping everyone working in the mine. The Robomen, because the way they were done in the TV show as kind of brainless you know, automatons, essentially, hmm. um, you kind of get the sense that if you locked one in a cupboard, he couldn't find his way out. Do you know? Yeah. Whereas in the film, they're... you know, we see them marching, we see them breaking off in patrols. They don't speak all the time because they have the little thingy on their helmet, so they don't need to. So personally, I thought the design of them was better in the film. Like, see, and see, that's where I'm kind of torn because, like, normally, you know, like, I I don't mind like a kind of a militia type thing. Like, when it comes to terms of, as a servitor unit, mm-hmm. as in, like, I mean, like, fuck's sake, I mean, look at the Jem'Hadar. Yeah, something very very similar. Mm-hmm. But there's just something for me when it comes to a desolated like our dystopian type future if your essential workforce or the thing that keeps your workforce in check is some weird like hollowed out husk of essentially a servitor drone it's just very eerie and it's very creepy and i i, I but i kind of like stuff like that because again i think in the warhammer 40k universe a lot of the servitors are just kind of people that are well they're gonna die we might as well just treat, turn them into fucking automatons <laughs> Um, but I remember making the point in that's just for the design of the mm. novel, okay? But I remember making the point in the Dalek Invasion of Earth that I didn't really see the need for them because I didn't think, you know, that the Daleks needed like you know, kind of like a servitor workforce in the sense of that they can do it all themselves. Whereas here, I think it actually works better because of it works better because of the uniforms, but I'm torn on the uniforms, which I think is strange. It also works better in the film because we're kind of given a reason why they need them, which is that um, the Daleks can't go near the original shaft of the mine, mm-hmm. which is the whole ending of the film. Yeah. Um, they can't go near the where the mining group was originally mining down into. They can't go near that original part of the mine because of the magnetism of the North and South Poles. Really ignore yeah. that. They can't go near there. So it shows that there are times and places where the Daleks cannot do the job themselves. So mm. it makes sense to have these sort of servitor converted people. It made no sense in the TV show because yeah. that that bit wasn't there it's like well okay daleks can't do stairs was that why they had them <laughs> no no it, it's proven as of the chase that the oh, daleks can handle stairs yeah but chase came after chase came after no no it didn't oh this is 1966 the chase came out in london 1965 <laughs> no but as in the chase came after oh, the original yeah, version okay. of the story right. yeah okay smart fair also the way that you said the whole north and south pole thing is the exact same way Darrow Breen talks about the 2012 movie <laughs> the neutrinos have mutated it's just and that stay hatred warming up the atmosphere <laughs> tequila <laughs> oh god um, but, add that to a yeah. team day by the way <laughs> just... yeah exactly yeah. <laughs> um no, like I, I see. As I said, right, as a militia force, I like they work better here. Mm. And as I said, in that sort of weird Jem Hadar type thing, I'm just torn on the design of them. Yeah, and that that's the only aspect of it. Cool. So if we look then at the Daleks themselves, what do you think of them? So Daleks are Daleks. They really <laughs> are. Other than ooh, look at all the pretty colors because they're all like, it was there. There's a huge variety of different colors here. Um, okay, because this is an adaptation of the second story mm. 
I can't really add a whole lot more because they're following the pattern, as you kind of just pointed out to me there, smart ass, <laughs> that they're following the pattern of the stories that had been, I suppose, released in and around that time. Mm. Okay. Or like that they were following in that time. So you don't really see, like the other, ma there's no real, as far as I can remember, okay, mm -hmm. there's no real huge advancements in Daleks until we come to the Patrick Troughton story, Power of the Daleks, which we'll be covering soon. Because in the chase, it's just a commando unit going after them in with obviously their own time machine. So that's kind of a, that's an entity of itself, but it's not the score it's this, uh, talked about here. And then in the Daleks master plan, it's just a wider spread of how the Dalek society works. Um, so for this movie, I can't really say a whole lot more than I've already said, because there's nothing new or unique about them. Yeah. I'm pretty much the same. Um, I had three notes on them. Mm -hmm. One, the Dalek coming out of the water was nowhere near as intimidating as it was on the show. It looked like he was on a jet ski. Yeah, in, col like in color, it, mm, it didn't work. Not so much of the color. I just think it because it came out way too fast. Mm. In the TV series, it comes out in that weird, slow Jason Voorhees arising from the lake type thing. <laughs> Whereas here, it looks like, you know, he there should be a boat pulling him up. Mm. The second thing that I did like was their spaceship was much more impressive. It did look a little bit like something from Thunderbirds, hmm. but I thought it was quite impressive. I thought the use of the model was really good. I thought its design was quite interesting. I thought that was really good. Yeah, no, I'd agree. The third thing, though, and this goes back to something we discussed last week, it, it didn't, it wasn't as obvious last week because Doctor Who and the Daleks, the Daleks never left the city, their city that they built for them. And so yes. most of the action was in fairly close quarters. Mm -hmm. In this film, though, they're out in the streets or they're in the mining camp or they're in the woods or whatever the case would be. The fire extinguisher weapons are a bit shit because there's several scenes where clearly someone runs through the very edges of the reach of the fire extinguisher. Do you know? So mm. they're clearly being covered in little bits of fire extinguisher. But nothing happens to them. But see, this is the thing now as well, right? Because as you said, like in the, in the last movie, we assume that their lethality, lethality is based on their effective range. So if you get hit by the smoke, you, you're done mm. for. But that chase sequence where we talked about earlier on, where the guy essentially climbs up into the ruins of a building and then starts running across the building tops is obviously way outside of the range of the smoke. Yet they fire and the thing explodes, causing it to fall down. So it's, it's just confusing. Yeah, you know? it's just this inconsistency that I don't quite understand why they did it that way. Um, there was <laughs> just get a gun and shoot him. Yeah, it, it, it either make sure people run through a considerably dense part of the fire extinguisher. Okay, mm. so just make sure that your extras or your stuntmen or whatever make sure to run through the actual blast of the fire extinguisher, or or use something else. Yeah, because see, like the Robomen, they use a sort of a weird light slash seismic or sonic cannon. Mm. And it's like, okay, like it light, you know, it lights up and then you have the bang at the opposite end of its target. That works fine. Yeah. You don't need to see the ray to know that it's deadly. Yeah. But if you're, if you have something that's showing an effective range of a, of a fire, you know, a bullet or whatever, it's got to, it's got to make sense. And it's just, it's weird here. So I think in that regards, when they're out in the street, the Dalek shouldn't seem like, you know, it's like, yeah, I can, I can out jog you. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty much fucking it. Yeah. Which like I said, I didn't notice it as much in last week's movie because it was all close quarters. Mm. Even like the final battle in the control room or whatever. Mm. You had lots of Daleks in a very large room, but still relatively close quarters. So that was my... Or that that one Dalek that just like, you know, like a hundred miles an hour just goes out the corridor and blasts into the wall. Mm. That, that's the other thing, actually. So the ending of this film, <laughs> just remind me, the ending of this film, they basically redirect the bomb down the original mine shaft. So it detonates mm. in this North Pole, South Pole convergence magnetic field point, whatever. But basically it does... For anyone who's watched the modern era of Doctor Who and you watch Doomsday, 
where all of the Daleks get sucked through the void. It essentially mm-hmm. does that. And there's something hilariously funny about Daleks just being yanked backwards and like flying off ledges and toppling over railings, just falling down a hole. It was quite humorous. I, I think it might be because of the poor fucking stuntman inside going, oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God. <laughs> yeah, but it was, it was, that, that was funny. That was funny. So yeah, I think that's pretty much it for the Daleks. Mm-hmm. I would agree. So how about we move on to our overall feelings about this particular film? Yes. So better than the first film. Yes, absolutely. However, there was no badass bullshitting Barbara. So can it even be called a movie of Daleks Invasion of Earth? I I don't think so. So right, but again, as we kind of said the last time uh, for the last movie, if we had seen this before we had ever watched the show, that doesn't really play into it. True. True. No, no, no. Don't, don't get me wrong. I, I think it's like it's a. It, this isn't a patch. No. Uh, it's not a patch on the Daleks invasion of Earth. Uh, However, as a as a standalone movie, I think it's actually enjoyable. And compared to the last week's one, I would actually watch this again. Yeah. So as a mo- as a standalone film. It was all right. I yeah. quite enjoyed it. A bit simple in terms of how science and time travel works. <laughs> As an adaptation, though, it no, it doesn't work. The thing that makes it all right and not great for me as a film, though, is the same thing as last week. Character development. Mm. None of these characters change from the beginning of the film to the end of the film. So it's missing the heart of what made the TV serial what it was. Now a lot of that is due to the fact that the heart of the TV serial The Daleks Invasion of Earth was Susan. Susan's growth and Susan's struggle with should she stay on Earth or should she go with her grandfather and then ultimately the Doctor making that choice for her. Because Susan is the robot child (laughs) in this film, she's too young for them to have done that original plot from the serial so that doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. But also, they replaced Barbara with Louise, but didn't give her any of Barbara's plot points to do. So you could even have Louise start off as a little bit quiet or whatever and have her have to go through all the things Barbara went through. And that would give you a nice little bit of a character development curve. Same with Tom. We said it last week with Ian. Tom starts and ends the film the exact same person that he was. Mm-hmm. He's still a policeman. He's still trying to do his best. Not faulting any of that. But it's not that he had any sort of... There was nothing for him to personally overcome. Same no. with Doctor Who. There was nothing for him to personally overcome. So it's very much a sit down, turn off your brain and watch a fun film. Which is fine. But if you're going to have it be an adaptation of a Doctor Who story... You're missing the whole point. Yeah, and I, I think I think that's a lot of like that's that's something that can be said for a lot of different things like that. As an adaptation, they can be absolutely terrible, but as a standalone entity, they actually can be quite you know you know you can sit down, you can enjoy them, you can watch them away, whatever the case mm. may be, you know. Yeah, uh, I think that's kind of like what we we for me it's what we have here. Yeah, I would agree. Um, should you go out and watch it? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. That's right. Bernard, Cribbins. Bernard Cribbins and Peter Cushing is a fantastic duo. It's a yeah. If for no um, other reason than those two, I would recommend it. If you're a fan of the serial, just bear in mind there's 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 going to be differences. And we're talking about the TV series now, with not Sugar Puffs. We've already established that <laughs> Sugar Puffs are rank. <laughs> yeah. Actually, you just reminded me of something. Mm-hmm. The Robo Men. So yes. there's this really funny scene. Where the Robomen are effectively refueling themselves mm. and having a bit of a nap. And Tom sort of inserts himself into it and plays along with everyone, which I think is that, that's Bernard's comedy. Yeah, that, I forgot about that sequence. But like, they're eating like these little like sugar pebbles. Is that the American cereal? Like these little oh, colorful I... balls. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, fruity, fr- fruity pebbles. Fruity pebbles. That's the one. And then they're going, yeah. really? You need to keep this controlling 
workforce, you know, able to control the humans and you go with fruity pebbles <laughs> and a glass of water. I'm just remembering a thing from Rick and Morty now. Who's ready for some pill, uh, was it uh, pill brulee? <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I just I don't I don't know. You mentioned sugar puffs, and that that just yeah. entered my mind. So I think that is it for our rambling review of Daleks Invasion Earth twenty one fifty AD. Quite possibly the best science fiction title of all time. <laughs> okay, right. <laughs> Look, <laughs> why do I think the title is shit? Now I have I am well aware that there is a number of science fiction, and you know genre films mm -hmm. from that time period that do the same sort of na naming convention. We mentioned Dracula something or other AD last week. Yeah. However, Daleks Invasion Earth 2150 AD are just random fucking words. <laughs> it's not no the, the... There is no of. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not the Daleks Invasion of Earth brackets. 21580 that would be fine i would have no issue if that was the title of the fucking thing because at least in the tv show it was doctor who and the daleks invasion of earth mm. which is a full complete sentence that makes sense this makes no fucking sense it's just random words <laughs> because they couldn't afford small small words with only like two or three letters in them Yes, I'm so, weird, okay? <laughs> you should have gotten used to this by now. <laughs> no, you continually surprise me. <laughs> well, we find out today about sugar puffs. You know, Jesus. So, what do we have next week? So, next week we have one more rambling before the following week we get back to our standard programming or we'll be picking up with the next Doctor in the series with Patrick Troughton. Mm-hmm. Next week, we're going to be joined by our friends Dan and Paul from the Half Measures podcast to discuss the BBC docudrama An Adventure in Space and Time. Yeah, so we'll it's... have two more people in our conversations next week. Absolutely. And hopefully we will have a, maybe a bit of a quiz for them as well, because they tested our knowledge. They did. They show. did. So a number of, for those who aren't aware, a number of months ago at this point, Sorry, it's taken us so long, Dan and Paul. Um, a number of months ago, Dan and Paul had us as guests on their show where they you know, interviewed myself and Paddy about the whole podcast thing. And they gave us a bit of a Doctor Who quiz at the end, which I think we did all right. Yeah, I think uh, other than Paul's sneak questions, I think we did very well. <laughs> yeah, so after we do the review of An Adventure in Space and Time next week, we're going to have a sort of secondary part of the episode where you know, we'll chat away to Dan and Paul and then... I'm going to unleash Paddy on them in terms of the quiz. Because <laughs> <laughs> when it comes uh, to quiz questions, Paddy Fox is a devious bastard. <laughs> <sighs> Who, me? <laughs> awesome. Cool. So that's it, guys. Uh, once again, thanks for listening. And we will speak to you next week. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.